The X-Zone radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the X-Zone radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Back to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell, coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Worldwide toll free 1 800 610 7035. My email address is xzone at xzoneradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, xzoneradiotv at hotmail.com. And uh, on Skype, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, X Zone Radio TV, and of course, our website is xzoneradiotv.com. And uh, we always have the past 60 days worth of shows available for you, the members of the X Zone Nation worldwide, with our compliments at www.xzonepodcast.com. Hey, and don't forget if you're looking for that special X Zone attire to wear, visit our store at xzonestore.com. Belief is the strongest power in the universe. And uh, my guest this hour is a gentleman who's going to talk to us about the facts and real threat posed by extraterrestrials. Now, from E.T. to Dark Skies, countless movies, books, and television shows about aliens have thrilled and chilled us, exciting wild hopes and preying on our deep fears, often with a dash of conspiracy, a la X-Files. We're all hooked by a great extraterrestrial story. Is that just fiction? Well, my guest this hour, Don Donderry, has reviewed and analyzed 60 years of accumulated evidence that proves that many reported UFO sightings have been real. Extraterrestrials have visited our planet and that some have actually caught and released humans to study them. 
Uh, Don Crosby Dondary, he is a PhD, entered the University of Chicago at the age of 15 and graduated with a BA and BSc in biological psychology at the age of 21. He worked as an applied psychologist for IBM and served as an associate dean of the Faculty of Graduate Studies and Research in McGill University. His book is UFOs, ETs, and Alien Abductions, A Scientist Looks at the Evidence. Joining me now from the most beautiful city in the world, my hometown of Montreal, is Dr. Don Dondarian. Uh, Don, welcome to the X-Zone. Thank you for inviting me. I'm enjoying it very much already. Thanks, Don. Don, where did your interest in ETs and UFOs come from? Well, it started at about 10 years of age. I was that that old when... Mm -hmm. The first UFO sighting that was widely reported in the U.S. came to public attention. That was Kenneth Arnold in 1947, who saw a bunch of silvery things hop, skipping, and jumping over the Cascade Mountains in the northwest U.S. in Washington State. And he reported them. They were reported at the local newspapers, and a newspaper reporter invented the term flying saucer to describe them. That's where it all started. That's where the publicity first came out, and that was long enough ago, so I've been interested in it for quite a while, and that's about 65 years. Wow. Don, what is your opinion on the Canadian government dropping all UFO investigations and kind of referring everything to Chris Rotowski at the University of Manitoba? Well, it's very nice for Chris, Mm -hmm, (laughs) who has been doing a great job collecting stuff for many years and writing about it. I think that the Canadian government is a bit player in this business. For many years, and you may know this, Back in the 70s, there were lots of UFO sightings in Canada. There was a great deal of pressure on Parliament to, quote, do something, unquote, about them. So the uh, National Research Council set up what they call the non-meteorite sighting file, which is basically just a big file drawer full of people's reports. You could go look at that file drawer anytime you wanted if you were a citizen or just off the street, basically. All you had to do was promise not to tell people what was in it or what the names of the people who reported these things were. All right, Don, so I've been to Don, that file. I've okay. seen him. Yeah. I, I hate to do this, Don. You and I have to take a two-minute commercial break. When sure. we come back no more with my very special guest, a fellow Montrealer, Dr. Don Dondary. His website is www. All right, do you have your pens and pencils ready? UFOETs.com. Don and I will be back on the other side of this two-minute break. Don't go away. Welcome back, everyone. That's April Wine, a Montreal band with Just Between You and Me. You know what? They, they don't need to tell me to enforce CanCon on this show. I do it automatically because I'm a proud Canadian. My guest this hour is Don Dondary. We're talking about Don's new book entitled UFOs, ETs, and Alien Abductions. A scientist looks at the evidence, and his website is www.ufoets.com. 
ufoetees.com. That's ufoetees.com. Before we went to the commercial break, we were talking about the Canadian government's involvement or lack of involvement in the in the uh, investigation of UFOs. You know, Wilbur Smith, uh, was it Project Magnet going back to the 50s? Um, there was communication between Washington and Wilbur Smith. And then we had the, the uh, fiasco of the Avro Arrow. You know, and, and I often wondered, uh, Donna, maybe you could shed some light on this, if there was a connection between the, the demise of the Avro Arrow and the the pressure that the American government was putting on the Canadian government at that time, not only in our aviation industry, but into the investigation of UFOs as well. I honestly doubt it. I remember the Avro Arrow incident. Mm-hmm. Diefenbaker canceled a brilliant airplane that everybody agreed was a superb uh, product for its time. Yeah. And he did it because I suppose there were internal financial difficulties. I don't think it had anything to do with UFOs. I think... The U.S. government has always been very uptight about that. We can get into that later. The Canadian government went along and dealt with its public the best mm-hmm. it could by setting up this non-meteorite sighting file and let it slide at that. Now they've closed it because the issue is so far beyond the Canadian government's interest or ability to deal with that they've basically left it or rented it out, if you like, to other, other interested governments, including the U.S. Don, I just don't think they're interested. Yeah. Don, let me ask you this as a scientist. And as a researcher, why has the best evidence from competent observers been ignored or shunned by members of the scientific community? Because science is a very conservative, relatively closed-minded occupation, which occupies extremely intelligent people on extremely narrow questions that have some theoretical basis. Nobody has a theory that explains UFOs. And so for a scientist, it's just not, just, you just don't look at it because it's so far out of your ken that you can't make sense of what you see or what people tell you they've seen. That's why science, in quotes, can't do anything with UFOs because scientists have no theory to explain how they work. The fact that they're there is of interest to people because people are curious. Mm-hmm. Scientists aren't curious unless they have a theory. But on what about theoretical physicists? Wouldn't this enter their realm of, of expertise? It does. The question of how you get around gravity is a mm-hmm. very good theoretical question in physics. The problem is nobody has an answer, and nobody has a, a viable theory. There are a couple of people who've published theories. There's actually a scientist named Paul LaViolette who's published a book and a couple of papers on the subject, but they're not widely accepted, and they basically overturn the established basis of quantum theory so that you can't accept La Violette without rejecting a lot of stuff that does work. So people are in a quandary about that and don't know how to proceed. When and you, they, they don't pay attention. When you have the number of citizens worldwide that are reporting sightings, contact, and abduction scenarios, how can the governments of the world not join force to do a a credible investigation to find out the answers and be honest with the public about their findings? Well, first of all, a lot of governments have just shrugged their shoulders, told people what they know, and washed their hands of it. perfect example is the Belgian government, which issued a very comprehensive report on low-level UFOs seen around 1989-1990, 
and then let their spokesperson simply say, here's what we've seen. We don't know what to do about it. If you're interested, read our report. And they made the report available to everybody. The French have done sort of the same thing. Uh, various South American governments with UFO activity have done the same thing. The big clam-up government is neighbors to the south. The U.S. probably knows a tremendous amount more about UFOs than the government is telling you because they have incredible uh, surveillance equipment available to track that kind of thing. But they are, I think, frightened of the consequences or the implications, I should say, and don't want to deal with the public consequences. Not yet, anyway. In your opinion, Don, do these visitors pose a threat to the national security of this planet? In a literal sense, they do, and here's why. It's quite clear from all of the militarily generated reports mm -hmm. and the evidence of many people's observations that aircraft uh, missiles can't stop them, can't shoot them down, can't deter them, have no way of interfering with UFOs. UFOs cruise slowly over our large cities and public uh, transport roads and stuff. Mm -hmm. Nobody can deal with them. Nobody can chase them away. Or chase them away, yes, but uh, deter them by any more violent means, no. Therefore, they are by definition a threat to national security because you don't know what their motives are and you can't stop them. That's not something most governments want to admit. And yet, we look throughout history that these visitors from the skies have been around. It's nothing that is really that new. So if they've been around since, well, the, the airship flap of the 1800s, and then you've got, you know, reports and sightings that have been written in historical books under different types of classifications... If they wanted to do something negative to this planet, wouldn't they have already done it? I don't know. That's an excellent question. The fact that they, I think we, or the technical people in our governments, agree they could do it mm -hmm. simply means that we're not prepared to stop them if they did. And that itself is a, a danger. Certainly it's no neurosis to worry about some power that could deal badly with you but hasn't yet put it that way. And I think that's the attitude of many governments to this, in particular the U.S. government. But let's take a look at some of the Canadian sightings. The Shag Harbor incident, for example. You know, there you had testimony from members of the Canadian military, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, and observers who saw something go into the waters of Shag Harbor in Nova Scotia. I think right, it's, I remember that. You know, and, and you have all this evidence, and yet nothing. Absolutely exactly. nothing. Nobody has, nobody in official, the official world has anything to say about those things because they can't do anything about them. You report to your constituency, yeah, we've seen a UFO mm -hmm. go into the water in Chag Harbor. We've seen them fly over this city or that city. And your constituency says, well, what are you going to do about it? And the answer is, we can't do anything about it. So the best thing to do from a government point of view is make the least of it as possible so that people will not pay attention. And it's easy enough to do because the whole proposition is so potentially threatening that a lot of people just don't want to think about it. And if you don't want to, it's easy to ignore the problem. As a scientist, is there a scientific discipline that is dealing with UFOs presently? Me. 
I'm well, not kidding. Uh, me and maybe 50 or 60 or 70 other people with some kind of scientific mm-hmm. qualifications who are not tied to research grants. I'm a retired professor, so my life goes on without having to win research grants from various governments. Governments don't support that kind of thing. Your peers in science are the people who grant those research grants because these are all awarded quite uh, fairly on the basis of what other people think is worth doing. And most other people, for the reasons I've suggested in science, don't think it's worth doing science about UFOs because there are no theories to explain them. And the only kind of scientists who take a real interest in this are people like me who are behavioral researchers in psychology or people with imaginations and some freedom of action who aren't bound to uh, advancement through their universities by getting research grants. It's a difficult thing to deal with in science. There is certainly no specific discipline responsible for studying UFOs, and very few people do it. The imaginative, there are lots of imaginative friends of mine who do, but they're mostly outside of what you might call mainstream science. I would think that the scientific community would want to jump on this, this phenomenon to, to actually solve it one way or another it would be a, it's a win-win situation just imagine being able to say beyond a shadow of a doubt that yes there are ufo's yes we are being visited by people from other galaxies other universes and yes we have the ability now based on the conclusion that they are real to start a process in which we can make contact and learn and exchange information i i that would be, to me, a fantastic thing. Except it's dangerous. You don't want to make contact with people who might want to eat you. I'm being perfectly serious about that. It's not a joke. One of my friends who was, I was talking to about this, mm-hmm. who's in fact read my book, he said, the people who want to make contact are generally kindly, well-disposed individuals who think that the entire world is as benevolent as they are. And that's not necessarily true. I think your own background would tell you that. But my, 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 my own background yeah. also tells me that until I see uh, a, uh, a hostile action, not to assume that that person is, is hostile. Absolutely. But also not to assume he or she isn't. And that's the problem with the UFO mm-hmm. thing. The, the, the people who are responsible for what you might call national defense in our large neighbor to the south, right. have a responsibility to be able to protect their population, and for that matter, ours, from harm from above. And that, of course, went back to the Cold War when the harm from above was from across yeah. the continents. Now the same thing is true, and I don't believe there's a way to protect us mm. from potential, not actual harm from above. And it's that potential that worries people, and it worries me, frankly. All right, Don. I don't think it's like, you know, uh, you got to uh, stop? Okay. Yeah, we've got to make our news break here. Exonation, Dr. Don Donderry is our special guest. We're talking about Don's new book entitled UFOs, ETs, and Alien Abductions. A scientist looks at the evidence. His website is www.ufoets.com. And we'll be back after the news as we continue from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. 
Hi, this is Ken Elliott. When I'm floating around the universe, I always try to tune in to Rob McConnell. Hi, hold there, Trinity Frog on Sesame Street. When I want to find out what's going on with UFOs or ghosts, I listen to the X Zone with Rob McConnell. This is Les Corrigan from Target Internet Development. You're listening to Rob McConnell on the X Zone Radio Show. This is John Hogue, Prophecy Scholar, and you're listening to Rob McConnell in the X Zone. Welcome to the X Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome back to the Excellent Everyone. My name is Rob McConnell. My very special guest this hour is Dr. Don Donderry. Um, he's the author of a fascinating book entitled UFO ETs and Alien Abductions, A Scientist Looks at the Evidence. His website is www.ufoets.com. And uh, first of all, Don, thanks very much for joining us. Great having you with us. Uh, and um, one of the parts of the of the ET experience uh, that a lot of people have a problem with believing is the alien abduction scenario. What is your what is your opinion on that, sir? Okay, the first two propositions you started the program with that some of what people report as UFOs are ET spaceships, mm-hmm. and the second proposition, which is that some of those spaceships have ET crews, I think are proved beyond reasonable doubt. Now, you can convict a person of a crime on that evidence. Mm -hmm. The last proposition, that some people are caught and released by those crews to be tested, is established, I think, on the basis of probabilities, on the balance of probability, which is what you need to win a civil case. It's not as strong a standard of proof. And I'm I'm still working on research that tends to reinforce that idea, which I think is true, but which I can't say is demonstrated as thoroughly as the exact as the actual existence of ET spaceships or ET crews. So it's work in progress. The evidence is strong. It's obviously harder to take seriously because while you can imagine a shiny thing flying around in the sky easily enough, the idea that ETs are actually here interacting with us is another step harder to take. I've taken it. I persuaded the evidence is Strong, mm-hmm. but I agree it's not quite as strong as the evidence that there are actually ET spaceships in our space. Tell, tell me, Don, have you spoken to anyone who has uh, claimed to have been abducted by aliens? Oh, indeed I have. I've spoken to people in Montreal. Mm-hmm. I'm working on a case now, which I obviously can't mention by name, 
a woman and her mother who claimed to have been abducted. That's not an uncommon experience, by the way, because these things appear to go in generations. I've talked to people who have been studied thoroughly by other investigators who I know and who I've uh, met. Many of these cases are extremely convincing. What they have in common is the important thing. In the world of military intelligence, you look for commonalities between bits of evidence that you can build a strong case on. If some aspects of the case are consistent from one case to another, then you have more credibility that those cases all apply to something real. And that situation applies to a lot of the abduction cases. There are what a famous British researcher called touchstones that are in common. Things like, for example, the experience of a close encounter, having a conscious memory of seeing a UFO within a couple of hundred meters of you. The next thing is missing time having conscious recollection that you can't account for an hour or two of your time at some point after the close encounter. When you start with that and you get many cases showing exactly that pattern, then you have a fairly persuasive start start to your intelligence case. And the rest of it is filled in when you get the details from people, either through flashbacks or through what's called aided recall, which is where some professional helps people with their recall by sitting them down, relaxing them, uh, getting them to talk, and occasionally using hypnosis, which is a tricky tool but can be used. Um, so when, I, it, when it comes to the loss of time, Don, is, is, yeah. is it not true that most of the abductees who, who have a loss of time are driving, and isn't there a connection between the abductees' loss of time and something, a phenomenon known as uh, highway hypnosis? Actually, no, there's not. Uh, highway hypnosis is something that can happen to anybody, not just on the highway. You mm-hmm. go to sleep briefly for microseconds or uh, at a time, lose track of where you are, lose track of paying attention to what you're doing. Right. But that kind of inattention is not exclusively something that happens when you're driving, and it's not the explanation for, one, the close encounter, two, the, uh, the easily defined period of missing time, and an otherwise normal consciousness. So but I don't what, think that's a good explanation. But what kind of evidence do you have? You know, the the people who claim to have these these um, alien abductions, they tell good stories. So a lot of them are convincing, but what about the evidence? Well, it depends on what you mean by evidence. First, there are some of these accounts where there are witnesses to the departing or arriving UFO. There are several cases I describe in my book of that case, one very well known that's been published by another researcher, the late Bud Hopkins, whom I knew very well, and other cases less well known published in monographs by other UFO researchers. Mm-hmm. There, there are observations of the UFOs leaving and leaving behind a returned abductee. Secondly, there are consistencies in reports. Now, a lot of people, including some scientists, don't think that people's reports are evidence. I disagree. When you have consistent reports, and so, by the way, to the courts, Mm -hmm. when you have consistent reports of a phenomenon or more than one witness to something happening, the evidence becomes more than anecdotal and more than simply somebody's story. And when you pair that with consistent experiences, when you pair it with the existence of scars or um, other physical evidence that something's happened to people that they can't explain, then you begin to put together a picture that I agree is less clear than the picture, the instrumental picture 
that there are UFO spaceships, but it's clear enough so that I basically say, even though I can't prove this beyond reasonable doubt, I believe on the balance of probabilities that these cases are consistent and that they represent people being caught and released and uh, put back down again in order to be studied by our ET visitors. Yeah, but if that is the case, where they are being abducted to be studied, why the continual studying? That makes no sense to me. If you, if, you, if you want to study a subject, you don't have to keep going and catching more and more and more over, the, over a period of time. Our DNA maybe doesn't, re- our, our DNA maybe doesn't change. Maybe they get research grants for this. Well, I'm maybe. not totally kidding. Uh, you know, it's not actually, a, it's a good question, but look at what we do professionally when we're studying something. Mm-hmm. Some guy, and you've seen this in the news, has just come up with a new mammal species found in the Ecuadorian yeah. cloud forest uh, in northern South America. Mm-hmm. People didn't know that best species was there until he had spent a good deal of his lifetime studying finding it. Uh, there's always more to learn. If you are interested in a new species, you're not going to simply satisfy yourself with one or five or even ten years of study. You may be doing it for a lifetime, and you may be the successor of somebody else who's been doing it for a lifetime. Uh, all right, we but, don't know. But here, here's another question: If yeah. these ETs are really here and they're able to cross the time-space continuum to this planet and other planets. Why would they need to abduct in order to observe? I don't know. I can't tell you that. But just because they have uh, some kind of propulsion system that we don't have doesn't mean that they know everything about us just because they're smarter in one respect. They may be the smartest kids on this block, even Mm -hmm. though they're not from here. But that doesn't mean they know everything about this block or everything about us, and they're still interested in finding out. I don't see anything inconsistent in that. Well, why, we wouldn't, they, why wouldn't they just clone uh, a human or keep the humans instead of bringing them back? It makes no sense. Well, well, keeping them would be very bad politics because people would notice, and this would bring the whole thing to a head. Where did your grandmother go? Well, mm-hmm. she was abducted by an alien and never came back. Or she disappeared off the face of the earth two weeks ago while driving between Hamilton and Toronto, and we don't know where she is. That kind of thing wouldn't make good publicity. And if if the ETs, ah, but good as publicity, are, but good publicity for who? In order for it not to be good publicity, there has to be uh, someone else involved who wants to protect the identity of the ETs or the 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 actual reason why they're here. The ETs, I don't think, would give a damn whether one, whether it was established that they, you know, that grandma took off and she never came home. Well, we don't know that. And the other thing is, we don't treat other species that way. We are relatively careful mm-hmm. when we're investigating how bears live, for example, mm-hmm. uh, barring people who shoot more than their quota or who, and bears don't really have a social organization to protest that. We tend to be minimally interfering when we deal with other species than ourselves. By the way, we haven't always been minimally interfering with each other Mm -hmm. because the history of European exploration has been rather tough on the people who lived in the places Europeans visited, including the place we both occupy. But the general ethics of dealing with other species has been evolved in the human species to the point where we try not to mess them up too much, and that may very well be what's happening here. The other thing is, if they want to maintain a standoffish attitude, 
and not basically get us upset to the point we'll take action against them, not that we can much, then they'd want to minimize their interaction, learn learn what they can without making too much of a fuss with us, and that's, I think, what they're doing. Is it possible that the ETs have already made an agreement with the governments of the world and the governments of the world actually know what they're up to? I suppose anything is possible, but I haven't a clue. I just simply don't know. Mm -hmm. It's beyond my ken to be able to put down on paper that I have any evidence or reason to think that's true. Uh, And I just don't know. So if the ET scenario is real, if people are being abducted by aliens for one reason or another, why is it that not everyone believes in them? Well, first of all, there's a tremendous barrier of knowledge to overcome before you can think this is true. Mm -hmm. The book I wrote is an attempt to bridge that barrier by presenting in plain language. It's not a textbook. It's not a learned treatise written in academic language to present the facts as they've been accumulating for the last uh, 35, 65 years, depending on how far back you want to go. And first of all, it's easy to defend against that because you don't want to know that. You don't want to know that there are smarter kids than we are on the block cruising around, maybe looking to take over your home or buy it or, or turf you out of it, possibly. That's at least one possibility. They're who you can't stop or control mm-hmm. and who aren't part of your social system. This is a rather threatening idea. It's easy to defend against those ideas by simply not thinking about them or basically diminishing their importance. But don't and you but not, don't you think yeah. that we humans face those those uh, facts each and every day of our lives with other people here on this planet? So what would be so different? Well, we do. And in fact, a, a psychologist named Leon Festinger, about 35, 40 years ago, mm-hmm. presented his theory of cognitive dissonance, dissonance, which explains how we deal with that. We, we basically turn away, often, from facts that are uncomfortable by basically uh, dismissing the messenger, or killing the messenger, metaphorically, in any case. We do it all the time. Not all of us look hard facts in the face, and we're very good at evading them, and there are plenty of defensive mechanisms to prevent you from doing it. What is your opinion of the Roswell crash incident going back to 1947? Oh, I think that's real, and I think that's a clear example, and I've talked about that at a fair le- or written about that at mm-hmm. fair length in the book, that the U.S. government swept up the evidence and tucked it away. And that's not my idea. I've read and cite in my book the work of many previous researchers who've gone into that in great detail and have presented the facts in a series of books. But what, but what about all... the, the researchers who are now saying, based on new evidence, pointing to Mogul, Project Mogul, that they were wrong in their first, uh, first assumptions that it was a UFO from another planet, and they're, and they're turning around? Oh, I think that's nonsense, frankly. The, the Mogul balloon... Excuse is a very bad excuse for evidence that was much clearer than the mogul balloon explanation would ever explain. You see, I've got uh, a big uh, problem with the Roswell crash. I don't think Jesse Marcel has any credibility whatsoever. I think that the fact that he went out to Mark Brazel's farm, collected all the evidence, instead of bringing it back, the evidence back to the base, maintaining the 
the uh, the integrity of the evidence in in his possession. What does he do? He drives home, wakes up his wife and kid, and lets them uh, manhandle this evidence. Yeah, this this so. to this to me shows that this guy, first of all, wasn't a very good officer. He wasn't, you know, he he was very derelict in his duties. Because you don't, don't go to a crime so. scene, collect evidence, and then bring it home to show it to your family. You're, you're just, uh, I understand your, your position on that, but let's put it this way. This is, this is stuff he'd never seen before. He took the stuff the next day to his boss, mm-hmm. which, who he's responsible for reporting to. All he did was stop off on the way and show it to his wife and kids. All right, you and I have to it. take our final break. We'll be right back. Exo Nation, okay. Dr. Don, Don Darius, our guest. We'll be back on the other side. Don't go away. If she turns up while I'm gone, please let me know. Welcome back, everyone. Our guest this hour is Dr. Don Donderry. He is the author of a fascinating book. It's entitled UFOs, ETs, and Alien Abductions. A scientist looks at the evidence. His website is www.ufoets.com. Um, so, so where do we go from here, uh, Don? What what do we have to what do we have to do in order to satisfy everyone about the UFO phenomenon. You know, you and I were talking about Roswell and, uh, you know, my views about how the procedure was, the evidence was carried and and what Jesse Marcel did, you know, is is based on my training, not my conditioning, but my training. Um, yet there are those who take the word of Stanton Friedman and and other people who have had no experience whatsoever in doing a real investigation as the gospel and what would have happened if if Stanton Friedman never would have had this little epiphany and and got this little buzz and and wrote his books well that's a very good question but the you can't start dealing with evidence by assuming the people who collected it are not competent. But where's the evidence? You're, also- You're talking about evidence. You keep talking about evidence. I have not seen any evidence that that I would take to court based on any of these reports. I haven't. Well, now, s- there's no physical evidence. The Roswell, re- 
I'm ta- talking about the Roswell reports, there's no evidence to take to court. We agree completely. Yeah. We're talking about a story of hidden evidence, and Roswell is only one. But how do we know the- that? How do we know it's hidden evidence? This is all. This is all speculation. That's speculation based on interviews with many people, all of whom have something to contribute about what happened on that day and the preceding several days. All right, let, let me ask you it, this. We're running very fast out of time here. So if, if there are millions of people around the world who say they all believe they saw the same thing, is that evidence that what they are seeing is real? No, but that's not the situation with UFOs. But wait a sec, every, every December 24th, kids around the world say they see Santa Claus in the rain, in the reindeers. So does I that mean that. Santa Claus is real? No, it doesn't, and I just said it didn't. What I said was, that's not the situation with UFOs. There's a great deal of instrumental evidence. There are multiple simultaneous witnesses. There are people who've seen the same thing at different times, mm-hmm. at locations separated enough so that the times match. There's photographic, radar plot evidence. There's a great deal of accumulated physical as well as observational evidence that some of what people report as UFOs are extraterrestrial vehicles because what's reported cannot do what our machines can do. All right, you and and I have to say so long for now, Don. I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. And I look forward to the next time you join us here in the X-Zone. Until then, take care and thanks again. Thank you very much. Bye-bye, Don. Bye-bye. Exxon Nation, uh, Dr. Don Donderi is my was my guest this hour. And you know what? Let's look at it this way, gang. Kids see the Easter Bunny. Kids see Santa Claus, the Sandman, and the Tooth Fairy. I guess adults can see UFOs. Have a great weekend. Good night, everyone. <laughs>